0: Over 130 residential schools operated in Canada. The first federal residential school began around 1883. The last closed in 1996. We Stand Together invites Indian residential school and day school survivors, 60 scoop and intergenerational survivors to share their truth. This project is an opportunity for those on their journeys of healing to share their experiences and perspectives so all can learn about the effects of residential and day schools and the challenges Indigenous communities still face.
1: It's just how it says uh, circles for reconciliation, right? Circles, we do circles. We are a nonprofit organization. We have about, 50, it's a 51, 51%, it's Indigenous led now, whereas previously it was 50-50. We do circles by, we have five First Nations Inuit, Métis, and five non-Indigenous people. And we have trained facilitators that are, that are First Nations, Inuit, Métis, or, and non-Indigenous. And then we have the facilitator's guide conversation. That's all it is, is this conversation and, and speaking about what you know about what happened to the First Nations people of this country. And then we do 10 weeks of that. They're, they're about 90 minutes once a week to have that conversation and we have themes like we have about 29 themes i think now where we have um, you know misconceptions of first nations and metis people we have treaties we have uh, metis themes we have inuit themes because it's traveling further north and across canada right of course, we have our our opening vision and then a closing vision each time we have a circle.
0: So, Bonnie, what is both your and Grace's involvement at Circles for Reconciliation?
2: We do this kind of thing. Um, when when there's uh, an, an interest from the community, the larger community, to have uh, conversation about about our work, Circles for Reconciliation has collaborated with Red River. Grace and I will offer a circle context for the course that the people are taking at Red River about four seasons. So we we go out on the road and do public advocacy. So that's that's something we do together. But the the other thing is we're we're given the opportunity to to, to train facilitators for guiding these circles. I mean before that Grace and I co-facilitated. That's, that's what we, we did for an, in a number, a number of contexts. That road of co-facilitating had us move towards being partners for the organization in this, in this way.
0: Grace, why is it important to have these circles? To bring people together and have these conversations?
1: Because we need to be friends. <laughs> right, yeah, we need to be yeah, friends. Simply, <laughs> they, they <laughs> simply, and
2: profoundly put, Grace.
1: <laughs> we just need. We have to have those conversations. People that are coming into Canada f- need to know what happened to the First Nations people of this country. Until everybody understands, this is what I believe, anyways. Until everybody understands what happened in the in the history of colonization, residential schools, all that is understood and. Everybody knows how it happened because, I mean, Canada put us there. Everyone that comes to this country needs to know that history so that we're not continuously being judged. We're always judged. I, I was just judged not too long ago when I was in Thompson. Like, I walked into a, well, I'm not going to say that, but, you know, I was judged by a person that was working in a, in a hotel. People, know that I'm First Nations and that right away they figure that I'm going to cause some kind of scene or trouble or so that kind of stuff. Discrimination, violence. that's it. I think that once, you know, even with that person that was discriminati- discriminating against me, that once this person knew the story, or even took the time to hear the story, and then we talked amongst each other, like her and I have a conversation, right? And I learn what she, she feels and then she learns how I feel. And then maybe it, it just kind of grows from there, right, I think.
2: There's a circle that I remembered being in. I think it was my fir- it was my first circle. That's like a good number of years ago. And there was a man um, sitting in that circle from St. Vitell in Winnipeg who had never, ever, he said, during the circle, he said, he had never sh- shook hands with a First Nations person. He said that in the circle. He said, I've never, sh- I've never actually shaken hands and so the, one of the men, one of the first, I think it was a, an Ojibwe man, in the circle, he stood up, he walked across the circle, which is kind of breaking the rules of circle because we stay put, but whatever. I thought it was beautiful. He stood up, he walked across, he put out his hand, and that man from St. Vitale sh- shook his hand and then actually broke and just stood up, and the two men just hugged. And I... I I am, in. while I say that, that I, while I tell that story, I'm actually sad that that's the, I think that's actually representative of so many people in this city. We live in our little small bubbles, and those bubbles have some kind of protective barrier around them called us and them. <laughs> and when you live in that bubble, uh, you actually need something intentional to poke it. And I think Circles for Reconciliation has has a way of poking the bubble and getting us to step out of it.
0: Conversations like this are so important. Recently in Australia, um, there was talks and a referendum to add Indigenous and First Nations people of that country into the Constitution. However, that was voted down. We're seeing around the world... A constant fight between governments and the First Nations, First Peoples of, of, of the land. That's why conversations like this are so important. So walk me through what the conversations look like at these circles. What sort of feelings and things are people bringing up? I'm just very curious.
1: Well, just going back to one of the themes, the first thing is getting to know you. Because the circles are based on on how we used to speak in council and, you know, with each other. When someone is speaking, nobody interrupts. We wait until that person is is finished. They can hold either, um, in our circles, either the eagle feather, um, the talking stick. It, mostly in circles, we use a talking stick. And when someone is talking, everybody is very respectful to listen to what that person is saying. And in our circle, well, we, we always state that it's not a place where we judge each other. It's a place where we learn from each other. We learn how we feel, we learn how, how, we th- how we thought. And even if it's a bad thing, like if somebody is thinking bad, it's okay to say it in that circle because it's a safe place. And we wanna make sure that we state that when we have those circles to, to the people. And then what happens at the end of the, and the end of the ten weeks is maybe the first five weeks conversation is a little slim, like nobody really wants to say anything. But after that, it's usually the friendship begins, right? It takes a while for people to get to know each other in that circle. And then by the end of the 10, 10 weeks We are friends. Like, look at me and Bonnie. (laughs) She can't get rid of me now. (laughs) Right? I
2: did eat the raisins of your cinnamon bun this morning. (laughs) It's true. We are. Yeah, yeah, we have become good friends. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, I I echo that. I so echo that. And, And I, slim, that's a good word. The conversations are slim in the beginning, but I think that's the only way you can start. We start slim because because the divide is actually has become so big, and there's so much on on the settler' side of life. we're walking around. I just just had a conversation recently with a young man, and he said, "I'm so nervous around First Nations people. I'm going to say the wrong thing." And then as I, as we listen as we listen underneath all of that, I think what's what we' what we are as settlers are hauling around is we're hauling around a ton of shame, and I think in fact, just naming that and recognizing that is is important. What kinds of privilege have we gained off the back of that harsh story? Just be honest about it. Don't push it away. Be honest about it. But then what circles can... Circles are any any path of questing for more understanding, once you find yourself in a place of learning more and be building relationships in that context, that shame... Um, accompanied by knowledge and understanding, accompanied by relationship, turns, and now all of a sudden you're just you're living in a, you're living you're living your day to day life with responsibilities. Responsibilities to be curious. Responsibilities to step into a in a moment like where where a clerk or a store is. All of a sudden, following a First Nations, will start following the clerk. And what do you what do you like? How, how are you doing there, buddy? <laughs> like, I don't know. Inter- there are moments where you intervene. There are moments where you, you become curious. But your your sense of responsibility builds instead of a shame thing that makes you go all small and nervous and in the bubble.
0: What does reconciliation even look like for someone who's non-Indigenous born here in Canada or a newcomer immigrant or refugee coming here to Canada? what sort of role do they play in that journey of reconciliation grace what does that look like
1: well for me you have to define reconciliation like a lot of definitions have been thrown around when it comes to reconciliation by many many people but on my part i had to reckon like Okay, let's say the settlers part, let's go there. They need to reconcile with their feelings when they come into this country. Like say, okay, yeah, sure, I'm gonna have have money. I can have a big house, I can have big whatever. And that's okay, right? That's okay. You can have all that, but you also, what needs to happen is that you need to understand the First Nations people. The most important thing to us was our land right? Everything here is built out of the land. Like all these, somehow some scientists and created these microphones and these desks and these fancy gadgets, but it all comes from the land. And anywhere you live, you have to live on the land and a lot of stuff that you grow comes from the land and your animals come, they have to eat off the land, right? So it's, for me, the first thing I need to do, I need to reconcile with that too, is because I left my home quite a while, in, in Goslick Narrows, And I live in a community that's non-Indigenous. It's very non-Indigenous community. And it took them a while to get used to me being in that community. I had to work at that. You know, I had to do the work and say, okay, you know what, I am First Nations, but I'm not a bad person. <laughs> I can work in this town. I can have a job in this town. I can build a house in this town. I can have my own home. I have what, what I need to have in that community. Although, because of people not understanding and not having that conversation with me, people either were over the edge trying to be friendly, or not at all, or some people were very good and just say, yeah, okay, so you're First Nations. So what? I'm, I'm from Russia. Let's, get, let's be friends, right? So that's what it means, if that makes any sense at all. Something that
2: I have learned from my, in my friendship with Grace around land what I hear from her, like, we're, I, I live on a farm. I'm a farmer, and, and we work land, and we, we take care of that land. And what I hear from Grace is that the influence that First Nations people want to have on the, the majority of the influence is, it's, it's not necessarily that no one actually owns that land. That's what I'm learning. We don't own land. We tend. And we we acknowledge the gift that it gives us, and I think that spirit of learning is what is the biggest power that I'm hearing First Nations wants to have with non-Indigenous people. Stop seeing land as a, a commodity; it isn't. <laughs> it's your gift giver, and and live that way. And that that's a shift for for lots of us. And the other thing I've the other thing I've witnessed, Grace uh, was a was a big. Um, influencer to bring the feather into the court system, mm-hmm. and what I learned from watching Grace's walk with that, I asked her once. Well, I think I asked, how long did it take? And I, I believe you said what between nine and thirteen years. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And then I asked her. Yeah. Well, I could just ask you, right? Like I asked her, <laughs> w- what gave you the patience? And her answer to me was profound and it rang so true. She said I I know who I am and I know to whom and what I
1: belong. Yeah, it took a while.
0: <laughs> Why was it important for you Grace to get the feather into the courts?
1: Well, in the court system, you know, people come in and they swear on the Bible. I mean, that that is one of our most painful experiences is the Bible. And then sometimes people come in and affirm and when when a First Nations person comes into a courtroom; it's it's very intimidating. I had to swear in the Bible in court one time to to be an interpreter, that threw me threw my whole day off. I couldn't even I couldn't even think in Cree. I was like, oh my god, I'm touching this this Bible right. So at that point, I thought, okay, this is this is not good for First Nations people that have been harmed by by those churches, and that. It's important for uh, a person to have that strength to sit in a courtroom, right? And and I thought, well, the eagle feather gave me strength. It gave Elijah Harper strength to say no, right, which is kind of cool. And I thought, well, some First Nations people would bring their own feather into the court system. And I can see what it did when they were holding their, their eagle feather. And it was important to bring it into the court system because – This is the reality of it is most of our people are the ones that are going into the justice system. They go into the CFS system, into the justice system, and nothing that they believe in is being addressed. Nothing is being addressed. Now I can go on about that, but let's go back to the eagle feather. And when it was, it wasn't an easy task to bring it into the, into the courts because we had to do some convincing. I had a couple of, I had help. It wasn't just me. There was a Queens Bench judge, provincial judge, and the executive director of courts, that we worked painlessly <laughs> to do this, right? We had to convince both sides, not just not just the court system, we had to convince the First Nations people, that this would be a good thing. And I approached all the languages of, of Manitoba having that question of both the Eagle Feather and the court system. And in the end, I made that decision to say, you know what, it needs to be in there because it's about the people going to court. It's about that person holding the eagle feather and what it means to them to tell the truth, because that's what it is. When you hold that eagle feather, you tell the truth. And basically, it's very simple when you go, you know, you swear in the Bible, you affirm. And with the eagle feather, you say, I promise to tell the truth while holding or in front of the eagle feather.
0: I'd like to explore more about what you mentioned there, the continued struggle that we're seeing within the court systems between, like this fight between the courts and Indigenous First Nations, Métis, um, Inuit peoples, whether that's fighting over like unceded lands, uh, protecting places, and in, um, in terms of logging, uh, fresh water, stuff like that. You know, when we're looking at our society. Uh, indigenous peoples are often overrepresented in either homelessness or addictions you know due to various factors but it always comes down to this kind of fight for human rights which is why conversations like this are so important to not only increase awareness but bring those conversations back up to the court system and fight for people's uh, equality
1: I notice. I just saying that to my husband this morning. I said, you know, I'm I'm getting tired because it seems like as First Nations people, we're always fighting for what we we need our rights, right? Why is it that we are the the Canadians of this country, and we still have we have to go to court system to fight for what we need? You know, clean drinking water. You know, our kids to be better taken care of, shelters for the for the unsheltered people, like. Why is it we always have to be fighting there is a there is a point where this morning I thought I should just go back to the bush <laughs> yeah but you know it wouldn't be that easy either it's not that easy to live off the land up there anymore because it's been destroyed so much by our hydro you know like the the dams that were built and land is being was destroyed and and I know that trap lines were destroyed because of that and you know there's the sustenance that First Nations people had is not that healthy anymore like even the drinking water that my brother thought he had good drinking water because they had brought in the wells apparently the water was not good so now they have to go to court to fight it's like it's continuously having to fight why is it that we are the ones that have to fight for it right why can't somebody else say you know what this is what stop fighting just give it to them <laughs> yeah,
0: why is it's almost controversial yes. to have these conversations around human yeah. rights and when we're looking at the court systems it feels like sometimes it's just this arduous process that's meant to tire you out and inevitably cause you to quit
1: yeah yeah it's exhausting it, it is exhausting but it's but it's worth it to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel well, anyways there,
2: yeah right? and you yeah and I I, yeah. I I know the the something that's um, a constant thread between our friendship is we we look for work. That is that that doesn't exhaust us actually. Like an example would be we are going to be um, co-facilitating a circle for this Red River project, which I could just put a big shout out for. I think it's an amazing project, and Keystone Agriculture. Like the leads, I think from Keystone Agriculture have all taken these courses, which are engaged similar sort of modules to they're engaged. They're they're learning the story. They're they're dipping themselves deeper into the story between settlers and between uh, uh, First Nations, uh, Métis, and Inuit people. Grace and I will co-facilitate circles together. To be witness to people getting understanding about what the heck went on is <laughs> actually, like, strangely life-giving. Mm-hmm. And, it and And it gives us at least... A, I, I, we look to each other for the kind of work that will that will help balance out the exhaustion of the constant fight because I it's a big thing I've learned from Grace, even though you say it, it would be extremely difficult to go back to the land with all of, with all of the the pressure that that land has had. But I've also heard from you often, I just really need to go to my to my cabin or I need to go to the lake or I need to go into the bush. And you you've taught me that, um, even the land that is there will will the land that is the trees that are standing they still do feed us, in even even in all the brokenness that's been gone that's gone, you know, before us.
1: One thing good about this, what the circle is also is doing that, organizations are doing their own circles within their organization, mm-hmm. and that is good because it's something is it's a slow start I think with this part because it's like. At the grassroots level, right?
2: Yeah, like the provinces. Yeah. The province has, what are they starting? We've had eight, eight, is
1: it eight? We have eight to go. Eight more to do. Eight more to do, and we've done
2: nine, Yeah, I think. The provincial government has sat in nine circles so far, which means that 10, 90 people in the province have sat down and deepened their understanding and conversation. We can't control how that, how that impacts the way they lead, but we at least feel like we've taken responsibility to create context for them to learn mm-hmm. that, that, and to build relationships. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The other one we did, that did that was the, human, the Museum of Human Rights. And some of the schools are starting their own. So it's slow process, but at least it's spreading, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right now, it kind of feels like we're at the beginning of change, if that makes sense. It feels like finally enough people have had their eyes opened to what's going on in this country.
1: And the good thing about Circles for Reconciliation, like our organization, it's mostly volunteers. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it is. It's mostly volunteers. We only have like about six paid staff, maybe two full-time, and the rest are all part-time. Mm-hmm. And it's pulling people, you know, the volunteer to help out, which is really...
2: Actually, that just has me think of one thing I'm... I don't know I feel I feel really proud about our organization is how how grassroots connected it is where Tommy the event we we hosted at Tommy Prince showed that in spades the amount of First Nations people and Métis people and Inuit people who carried that event it was outstanding I just stood there often throughout that day marveling at the this is something marveling at the strength like the artisans the dancers, the musicians, the speakers, the the teachings that we were offered that day through the strength of the way in which um, all the pressures, the ability to just to just keep telling the story, to keep telling the story that is theirs, and that is another interesting challenge. I feel not challenge, but a nudge is that when I watch when I watch Grace own and, and hold on and articulate and keep their, her language and her stories, I'm actually not, I'm challenged actually to listen to my own. I'm challenged to try to understand my own, pick my own. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm challenged to understand my own story, my own, and not not to say that to make it better or to pit it against, but actually just to get to understand my own roots and not to act, not to make Grace's roots my roots, just to be truly celebrate the, the uniqueness of our roots.
1: You know, what's really cool is, pardon my language, <laughs> really cool. I'm still talking back in the 70s.
2: <laughs> cool is still We a word, use cool all the time.
0: Don't worry about
1: it. <laughs> okay, go for
2: it. Go, what's happening?
1: Bonnie is raising a Cree girl. And the amount of Cree that Bonnie has learned is really amazing oh. alongside with uh Well, how have build. I learned that Cree? How have I learned that in a new, Grace? Because you're, you have the drive to learn it because you are with First Nations person. You live with one. So you have the drive.
2: But I also have the support yeah. from you, just going to say.
1: So it's pretty cool how she can say the words, except for "ekosani." Ekosani. No, I'm getting <laughs> better. Ecosani. Okay, she's got it now.
2: And now "ekosani" <laughs> means, like, thank you. Yeah, we have, Grace has helped. Uh, uh, mm, uh, her name is Aja. Aja and I uh, put together our, our own shirt day, the, um, a presentation. Um, um um, which is the word for treaty. And the whole presentation has to do with the meaning of <laughs> treaties. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Grace. <laughs> Echosani, I... Well, I could never have done any of that without you. Just going to say.
0: How about we wrap things up with the YouTube link that you sent me? Uh, I think it was called I Wish in uh, a Nememoan. I probably said that wrong.
1: When she first came to me with that book and I started reading it, I thought, this woman is crazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks.
1: How can I taste the stars? <laughs> no, but then uh, once I started uh, reading the book and started translating it, it became quite fun, actually. Yeah. You know, and and what the thought that came from the child that was thinking those things. And I thought those very same things when I was a child, like, the stars is so high. What if, what if I was, what if the world flipped over and I fell through the clouds? Where would I end up? Kind of thing. Like, so there, there was those crazy thoughts. So yeah. when I started translating the book, it was actually quite fun.
2: My piece of it is that when I first met Grace, I was actually a little bit nervous to tell—not just nervous. It was one of those settler shame things. There was a really, really deep and wide story about how Aja, a Cree and Dené girl, got into our life. Um, and, and I felt part of being involved in Circle was, was to create a deeper and wider context for Aja to grow up inside of her story. When I met Grace, soon after she poured me her, the cup of tea, I'm a, i I said to her, I just want to set, I just want to lay it all out here. I, we adopted a Cree Dene girl, like right at the same time when the Truth and Reconciliation put out that, you know, um, Reunification was the absolute the core of reconciliation. Anyway, it all came out that this little girl that we have uh, has roots in in Grace's community. Um, she her father is from God's Lake Narrow, and so Grace when I showed her this book that I want to translated, Grace said, Oh, well, I have to because she needs to learn our Cree.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
2: Tani Kata Wasame Noats,
1: Mesquisekwa.
2: On and on. Yeah. So we have, we spent, Aja and I spent just every context we could to learn the Cree for that book from uh, from Grace. And I think the next time we write a book, though, a children's book together, it's going to start the other way around. We wrote it in English and then had it translated to Cree. And I learned a lot through that process that the languages are very, very different. We could get into that. But for now, we'll just say... There's a huge difference between Cree and and so in order to really truly communicate a book through Inanu, it should be written in In Inanu or spoken in In Inanu.
1: In Manitoba alone we have about three dialects of Cree, the T H and the N and the Y, like the plains Cree. And then of course there's different uh idiolects from those right. So there's the language is slightly different in each community. And it's important to know where you come from very important to know where you come from.
2: You're right. And that little shout out to that Indigenous languages of Manitoba published this book. And so if anyone wants to have access to it, they go through they go through that organization.
0: Grace, Bonnie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this have these conversations with us. Um, your insight and knowledge is very much appreciated. For someone who's interested in either participating or finding out more about Circles for Reconciliation, where should they go? They
1: can go to our website, circlesforreconciliation.ca. They can start there, and then there are some ideas in that website to where you can go. There's also, I mean, there's many things you can do. You can participate in an orange shirt day, participate in some, always kind of, you know, mingle in and see what goes on and there's a play coming up i just heard on the radio this morning um greased bear or bear greased or something like that. <laughs> it's going to be on uh it's coming through to at the burton cummings theater i think so i think that's of um led by first nations so that would be something to check out for people out there i think it'll be kind of cool
0: U multicultural is located on treaty one territory the traditional territory of the anishinaabe cree Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the national homeland of the Red River Métis. With you Multicultural, I'm Ryan Funk.